Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Aren't you glad that he's watching out for you? We bless your name, oh God. We bless your name, oh God. We bless your name. Hallelujah. I'm thankful to have made a concerted effort to be in the house of God today. From the very first note until this very moment, God is in this place. And I am thankful for who he is. Would you join me in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11? Get right into the Word of God this morning. Ecclesiastes 11. Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6. I just need to speak what I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart. If you have it, would you say amen? The Bible says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Verse four, he that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how do the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. So in the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. And so for just a few moments this morning, very simply, I want to speak to you from this subject, a seed worth sowing, a seed worth sowing. Would you lay your Bibles down and would you lift your hands to heaven and let's pray and ask the Lord to have his way. Lord, we love you and God, we thank you immensely for your presence to this moment in this place. We thank you for your word, God, that you've allowed us to gather around today. And I'm just asking you now to help us together, that you would anoint every mind, that you would anoint every heart to receive your word today, that you would anoint my mind and my mouth to speak, God, what I feel like you have laid upon my heart. And I'm asking you, Lord, to do it in the only name that we know, in the matchless and holy name, the reverent name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated. The book of Ecclesiastes, in the context of the entire book, was written by someone who had experienced everything that life had to offer. In the context of ancient days, he had experienced all wealth 
all power, all fame, and everything that is associated with it in the greatest sense possible. If we were to put it in our terms today, we could say that he had really been there and he had really done that. He'd experienced everything and here we are. Now at first glance, some may deduce that this book focuses on the meaninglessness of life. Some have even mistakenly taken the words as cynicism and vanity of vanities or a bitter commentary of the downfalls and struggles that are accompanied by missed opportunities and failure. But in reality, if you were to take a closer look, the book really reveals that its actual focus is on recognizing and appreciating the real and satisfying and joyous things that are associated with our human existence. Solomon offers advice and warning through his own experiences, admonishing us to find the things that really matter and do them with all of your heart, with all of your soul, your mind, and your strength. And so today, without any hesitation, we'll get right to the point. I believe that without a shadow of doubt that there is only one thing on this earth that will produce absolute, unequivocal peace, joy, and absolute satisfaction in any given life. And it is found in God, and it is the work of God. However, unfortunately for some, they will never begin that work and never take that step into their purpose because they are waiting for conditions to be absolutely perfect. But I'm here to tell you today that we simply cannot wait for everything to be perfect in our lives or around our lives to begin living for God or working for God because I'm sorry to tell you but that perfect conditions simply do not exist. From the garden and even until this moment and until the Lord decides to come back for his church, no circumstance has ever lent itself to be absolutely perfect. As soon as sin entered the heart of man, this world ceased to be a perfect place. However, the pursuit of that perfection that was found in the garden has never left the minds or the heart of man and has never ceased to be his desire. After all, our, our, even our own country is founded upon a sentiment that says that everyone is entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But hear me today, happiness, true joy, and fulfillment cannot be found in arbitrary, meaningless life. No life has to be lived one way and one way only. It is the way that Jesus said that it should be lived, and that is abundantly. And abundant life is only found in one place on this earth, and it is in the kingdom of God. And so in this kingdom, to be a part of this kingdom, we understand that we need to be baptized in Jesus' name. We need to repent of our sins and be filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. But to truly be a part of the kingdom, something is required of you and I, and that is called 
contribution. We are called to work in the kingdom, and I'm going to get to my point. We are to work through all seasons of life. The term work in this current society doesn't mean the same as it did just a few years ago. And it seems as though even some of the church world is leaving the principle of work further and further behind in more ways than one. They are seeking perfect conditions, blown about by every wind and like chaff. They are seeking the paths of least resistance. Even now. Even now. I'm reminded of the book of Jeremiah in chapters 28 and 29 of a story, and I won't read it for sake of time, but in the context of this story, we find the children of Israel that have been carried away captive, and they are there in captivity, and there has been a letter that has been written to them in that particular chapter, verse, or chapter 29. We find that letter written to the children of Israel. It is written by the, the prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel, and it is from the Lord, and it is in response to statements that have been made by a certain prophet that is among them. The letter begins with a rather disheartening sentiment saying that God is the one that has caused them to be carried away captive. In verses 29, in, in chapter 29 and verse 4. But then God makes a rather disheartening statement through the prophet Jeremiah in verses 5 through 10, and he tells them first, you need to build houses and you need to dwell in them. Secondly, you need to plant gardens and you need to eat the fruit of them. Thirdly, you need to take wives and take sons and daughters and give them to your, to, to other sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may have sons and daughters and give you grandchildren. And so for this reason, they were to do this all along the lines of an adverse situation that they found themselves in. Now I understand that the context of the story, Israel has sinned and God has caused them to be carried away captive and they are in captivity and they are in adverse conditions. And prophets had begun to rise among them telling them that their captivity would be short-lived and that everything was going to work out just a-okay. Everything was going to be fine. That there was no reason to do anything. Just sit and wait for a very short time and God will deliver you. But God is telling them something very different through the prophet Jeremiah. And he's telling them things that would be counterintuitive to what is being told to them by other prophets. He's telling them things that would take them time. He's telling them things that would take them energy. And he's telling them things to do that would create happiness in their lives and would be in a constituted state of happiness in order to do the things that he's asking them to carry out. But yet they are in captivity. They are a chosen people, and they are in the midst of a heathen nation. I'd say that they are in adverse conditions. Now, our human intellect would say that the things that God is telling them to do would constitute a state of being happy and would constitute a state of joy and that would produce these sort of things in the long run. But they're in captivity. They're in an adverse situation, but God is telling them something adverse to their adverse 
situation. Our human intellect would tell us that in and of these things, they would produce happiness and joy. And, and, and moreover, it would produce, that it would take time to produce these things. Now, now there's people telling them that this is going to just be short-lived and everything's just going to be all right, just, just a few more months, just a few more weeks, and everything is going to be all right. But God is telling them, settle in. Settle in. Plant. Wait for it to grow. Harvest it. Take sons and daughters. Give your sons and daughters to sons and daughters and let them have grandchildren. That takes time. So as human beings, we have a tendency to want things to be absolutely perfect in our life. We want things to go our way and we want them to be absolutely easy because we live in a society today that doesn't have, have, have any qualms about having someone just hand them something and everything already be prepackaged and ready to go. It's just, it's just like a Pop-Tart, three seconds, it's ready to eat, you're ready to go out the door. Instant gratification, instantaneous results, no waiting with no delays and so we too can adopt this thinking that everything must be just right with no problems or no hardships, no circumstances to be in the will of God and then when we attempt to do what God wants us to do and that does not produce instantaneous results, we tend to back away from that if as if it wasn't the will of God maybe I'm not called Maybe I'm not chosen because everything didn't just golden, golden path right in front of me, a rainbow over the top, and everything is just shining and bright because maybe I'm not. Because as human beings, we desire this euphoric state with no issues, no bad circumstances, but I'm here to tell you that even if you are not in the will of God, just, just because you live in the earth, unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. Just because you live for God does not mean that everything is going to turn out perfect in your life. And sadly, that kind of thinking has deceived many and some have walked away or even taken a step back because of adversity. But what is misunderstood is that hardship falls upon all and soon calamity will knock on every single doorstep because we live in a world that rain falls on the just and the unjust because we live in a fallen world that is in a fallen state and so the children of Israel had that similar circumstance and situations things did not look great for them and captivity had befallen them and things were certainly far from perfect yet false prophets had risen and began to preach a soothing Message telling them that their captivity would be short-lived, essentially telling them that because they belonged to God, everything was going to be quickly overturned, as if there would be no consequences to any of their actions. It was a no-strings-attached philosophy. It was an easy, believing, soothing, and accommodating, assuring them that they were sent but sadly, they were not. And so how 
does this apply to us here today in this hour? First and foremost, I believe that it tells us as children of God and as the church of the living God, we need to have more than anything before anything in this life now is the spirit of discernment in this hour. We... We must be able, not just him, but everybody in this building needs to be able to rightly divide the word of truth and hear the voice of God. If any man hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying in this hour. If any man hath an ear, let him bow himself to the earth and hear the word of the Lord and the Spirit of God that is so resonantly speaking in this hour. God was instructing the children of Israel much, much differently than what they were hearing and there is a certain sound that is being sounded from heaven and declared even today. There are more false prophets and false doctrines in the world than you can literally count and deception has run rampant in this society. You see it played out before your eyes every single day. People are lured into all kinds of false thinking, false religions, and counterfeit doctrines. Yet I believe there is another type of deception that is attempting to weave its way into the people's lives that sit upon our pews and it is to lull them to sleep, attempting to tell them and lull them to sleep telling them that there is absolutely nothing you need to do because someone else will catch the vision and someone else will feel the burden. This mentality has attempted to weave itself through churches and it is infecting people more than you would ever know. Someone else will catch the vision. Someone else will pick up the slack and someone else will feel the weight of the burden upon them. And so I'll just sit here and I'll get in the overflow of someone else's burden and I'll get in the overflow of someone else's calling and I'll get in the overflow of someone else's experience and then I can go home and check a box and say I was there and I took a part but in fact you did not. I'm glad that I've been given the opportunity to know truth. But I am even more glad that I have been given the opportunity to live truth. And I am thankful for the whole counsel of God. I'm thankful to know that there is a plan for me and I'm thankful to know that there is a plan for my family and for my church and that there is a specific work and purpose for every single one of us to accomplish. I'm here to tell you today that it is high time that everyone stand with their back straight. It's time to work. It's time to give everything that we have to the work of the Lord. It's time to live for God with our whole hearts and it's time to love this truth more than we ever have before. But hear me, let me take it one step further. It's time to do truth more than we ever have before. I'm thankful for here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love him with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I'm thankful for a man like James that will stand and say, Be ye doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You see, it does little good only to hear. 
and perhaps even to believe. But belief and hearing action must accompany it. Hear me today, the Lord has called every single one of us, every single one of us to work, every single one of us to go, every single one of us to teach, to preach, to visit, and to labor. But what we must understand is not everything will be done from a crystal cathedral. And not everything is going to be perfect to afford you the opportunity to do so. There will be seasons that you must work through. And there may be seasons that you are going to have to walk through. And I promise you today that I am not here to minimize any circumstance or any situation that may be going on in anyone's life. But what I am here to tell us today is to cast thy breath upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. But he that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. That word observeth means to guard, to keep, to hedge about or protect. So many people try to guard themselves. They try to keep themselves from being hurt or fear or rejected or being wounded. They simply choose to close themselves off from everything. But the fact of the matter is this. Without adversity, there would be no triumph. And without a predator, you would never learn to use your wings to fly. You see, the person that observes the wind or attempts to guard themselves against it will never understand the true feeling of absolute victory. Even nature itself has proven that without wind, trees would never gain the ability to stand upright. The wind provides the correct amount of adversity, causing them to stand tall above all of the rest. Hear me today. If you're going through something today, take good take good thought in that. I'm not saying that you should rejoice as if it's something that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. But if the devil is attacking you, that means you're doing something for God. He doesn't want you to accomplish anything. And so he's going to come against you. But hear me, it's going to be just enough adversity to make you stand tall above all of the rest. Because adversity produces produces triumph. Verse 4 says, And that he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Because he never sowed in the first place. That word regardeth means to see, to look at, to inspect, or to perceive. And so my Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 that we cannot walk by sight. We have to walk by faith. And we can't expect everything to be perfect, to act upon what is right. But we have a promise. Sow the seed and there will be a harvest. Sow the seed and the harvest 
will come. Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Because by faith, we are all sowing a seed with every word and every step that we take, whether it be good or bad, we are sowing a seed with everything that we do. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so the principle is simple. It's simply this. There is no such thing as being neutral. You either sow or you don't. And when you sow, it's either either benefiting the flesh or it's sowing to the Spirit. It either contributes to the kingdom of God or it aids in the enemy and his agenda. And so I don't know about you today, but I want to contribute to the right thing. I want to put everything I've got in God and in the work of God. I want to spend my life making sure future generations have the opportunity to enjoy what we have already enjoyed in this building this morning. The privilege, the, the privilege that we were here and able to lift our hands to heaven and feel the presence of God that was so real and so palatable. I want to be able to sow into the lives of people so that they can be able to feel and privileged to feel the same things that I feel but I've got to do it no matter the conditions and no matter the circumstances because no matter what we must be who he's called us to be and I want to be a man that is likened unto a man by the name of William Booth perhaps you know him If I just give you a few details about him, you'll probably recognize him. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. He was born in Snyton, Nottingham, second son of five children born to a man named Samuel. His father was relatively wealthy by the standards of the time, but during William's childhood, the family descended into poverty in 1842. He was made to go work as a pawnbroker and be apprenticed by a pawnbroker at the age of 13. Two years into his apprenticeship, Booth was converted to Methodism. He then read extensively and trained himself in writing and in speech, becoming a Methodist lay preacher. Booth was encouraged to be an evangelist through a friend of his named Will Sanson, and the two began to evangelize through a a project that they both named Mission Ministry until Sanson died from tuberculosis in 1849. Booth then became a prominent Methodist evangelist. He was unhappy at the annual conference of the denomination kept assigning him to a pastorate. Nothing wrong with that. The duties of which he had to neglect to respond to the frequent requests that he do evangelistic campaigns. At the Liverpool Conference in 1861, after having spent three years at Gateshead, which was a church, he requested that he be resigned from, the, from, from that and, and be able to do full-time Evangelism, yet he was refused again, and so he resigned from the ministry of the Methodist New Connection, and soon he was barred from even campaigning in their congregation. So he began 
to be an, an independent evangelistic uh, person. His doctrine that, that he preached was that eternal punishment was for the fate of those who did not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance from sin and the promise of holiness. He taught that his belief, that this belief would manifest itself in a life of love for God and mankind. And I'll, I'll hurry along because there's a lot of information here. He soon married and, and continued to be an evangelist. He realized that he had found his destiny in 1865. He and his wife opened the Christian Revival Society in the East End of London where he held meetings every evening and on Sundays to share the repentance that salvation can bring through Jesus Christ. He, he preached that to the poorest and the most needy, including alcoholics, criminals, and prostitutes. The Christian Revival Society was later renamed the Christian Mission. Slowly, the Christian Mission began to grow, but the work was difficult. And Booth would, this is a quote from his wife, stumble home night after night, haggard with fatigue, Often his clothes were torn and bloody. Bandages swathed his head where a stone had struck him. Evening meetings were held in an open old warehouse where urchins threw stones and fireworks to the window. But Booth continued, no matter the conditions, no matter the outcome, his mission was singular and it was focused and it was preached the gospel. It was spread the gospel. And so as I read this, I'm not telling you a story. I began to weep as I read this story. And out of, out of pure conviction of a man by all accounts who did not possess the full truth of the gospel, yet he passionately pursued and preached through the light that he had been shown. And I thought to myself, how much more should we that have the full truth of the gospel, that have the whole counsel of God, put it in the hands of people in this world today, hands of people by spreading the gospel to the ones that most need it. I'm here to tell you that I am thankful for past generations that came before me who saw fit to sow to the Spirit of God and to contribute to the work of the ministry. I'm thankful for a generation of men and women who counted the cost but found it worthy and necessary to work for God to the bitter end and give all that they had. I'm thankful for a people that did not adhere to the to the opposition and to the naysayers that said that it could not be done and I am certainly indebted to a God who did consider the pain and the agony from Gethsemane to Calvary yet he determined that it would be without, it would not be without great reward. I'm here to tell you that we here in this building right now we are built upon the backs of men and women who gave everything they had to the kingdom and they did it during religion relentlessly adverse conditions and made it possible for you and I to gather here today. I'm thankful for those men and women who did everything that they could to ensure that we would have a place to come. Let's clap our hands to the Lord.
so let me just make this a little bit more relevant to where we are today, perhaps. You know them, but I'm thankful for men and women like Steve and Barbara Willoughby. Maybe you've never heard of them. So let me just tell you that they were missionaries to the country of Singapore. And they started a church there that is still in great revival today. But can I tell you that they did that through relentlessly adverse conditions in their own lives. Both of them, their bodies riddled with cancer, yet they they never lost their worship. They never lost their praise. I remember seeing video of Sister Willoughby with a wrap on her head and she would be she would be dancing before the Lord and she would preach this gospel with everything that she had she died in 2009 but she left a seed that will live for for absolute eternity brother Willoughby I believe he passed away in 2013 but up until the point that he was on his last he was almost out of this world he would still be in church he would be in a chair and his arms would be raised to heaven and he would worship God. He spread this gospel during relentlessly adverse conditions and there is a church and a city and a country that has been turned upside down because of it. It's men and women like that that we owe our lives to. They sowed in imperfect seasons and they carried it out in less desirable times. They spread this gospel and they sowed the seed that would one day find its way into my heart and my life. And so if you don't think that I'm going to lift my hands to heaven and praise God for what he's done, you are sadly mistaken. I'm going to do everything I can to sow the seed because it's a seed worth sowing. Men and women that I never had the privilege to meet and will never be able to meet on this side of glory have made it possible for me to have an abundant life. I didn't get to meet them, but they made it possible for me to meet him. Men, men like Eddie Douglas. You don't know Eddie Douglas. And by all accounts, neither do I. By my knowledge, I've never had the privilege of meeting him. But I know someone who did. He and another man knocked on the door of a home that my grandmother was in one day her and a friend were visiting one another and allowing their children to play together when they heard a knock at the door these men were in that neighborhood knocking doors 
and inviting folks to church. I spoke to my grandmother and to the woman, her friend, at length that day about coming to church and about God. My grandmother's friend asked a lot of questions. My grandmother asked no questions because she wasn't interested at that point in time. You see, these men had already met my grandfather. He worked for Flowers Baking Company, and they had taken, he had given them some bread racks to cool peanut brittle on because they were cooking it as a fundraiser. And so in process of time, my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer. She began to try to turn her life around and search and seek after God. And my grandfather said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to go visit that church that those men were telling me about. You ought to go visit that church because I think it's a place that you would like to visit. And so she did go visit that church. She went there. She sat on a pew and she began to read her Bible. And I'm telling you that in that, in that church, before church ever started, before there was even a song sang, before there was ever a preacher step to the desk, God revealed to her Jesus' name baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. The very next Sunday, she was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and with fire. And the rest is history. You know, it was that seed. It was that seed that that man planted that day when they left that house. The one man said, you know, that lady that was asking all those questions, I believe she'll come along. And the other man looked at him and said, I don't know, though. That other one, she sure was She sure was listening. I saw them wheels turning. I saw them wheels turning. I believe she'll be there, too. And as if it was a prophecy, it came to pass because there was a seed that was planted in the heart of a woman that found its way into my heart. It was that seed that day. That one knock. That one knock at the door. Can we come in? Can we talk to you about the Lord? That one seed. That one instance made the way for countless men and women and children to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Her health... Her health has been declining for years and she is no longer able to get out. And so she sits in that chair and she prays, God, send me someone that I can talk to about God. Send me someone that I can share this gospel with. And so if they walk through that door, that seed that was planted that day is going to be planted in them. And there is absolutely no telling what dividends will come from that one seed. So I have I have a question that I feel like needs to be posed in this moment. I wonder what would happen 
if every person under the sound of my voice committed themselves to sowing this seed no matter what circumstance you may find yourself in no matter what prism you may look through you have been called to sow a seed and so I wonder I'm talking about 100% the question what would happen I believe that I have the answer today I believe that if I have the answer today I believe that it would be said about us the way it was said about Paul and the rest of the men in Acts chapter 17 these are the men these are they that have turned the world upside down these that have turned the world upside down Paul preached through adversity and the people said that they turned the world the world upside down. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why? Because a seed was planted in that man on the road to Damascus and it was like fire that was shut up in his bones. So if we're going to do anything for God in this hour, it's got to be the same for you and for me. It's got to be like fire that is shut up in our bones. But hear me, with that fire is going to come adversity because the enemy does not want you to accomplish anything for God. It was the same then and it will be the same now. But hear me, we do not have time to wait for everything to be just right to step out and do the work of God there will always be adversity there will always be hardship there will always be grief and there will always be despair but that is what we are called to be a living breathing testimony and what we are going to accomplish for God must be done right now. Hear me. God knows exactly where you are. And he knows exactly what you are going through. And he is not going to leave you out there to flip and to flounder all by yourself you sow the seed and he will bring the rain and there will be a harvest his word will not return unto him void and it will it will accomplish that which he set out for it to be and it will not it will not be in vain and so that's why we must be steadfast and unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for our labor is not in vain let's stand together I'm closing our musicians if you'll you'll come we 
said, we end where we began. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south, toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there shall it be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what thou is the way of the spirit, or how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all in the morning. Sow thy seed. And in the evening, withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both alike shall be good. And so the principle is very simple. We find it in Luke 6 and 38. Give and it shall be given. So, and there shall be a harvest. But thou shalt find it after many days. Instant gratification, instantaneous results don't happen when you're planting and harvesting. And so we're always in a state of planting and harvesting, sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. Diversify, diversify. Cast your bread upon the waters. Cast your bread upon the waters. You have no idea who it's going to touch. You have no idea where it's going to plant. You have no idea where it's going to end up. But you shall find it after many days. I believe had to be in the 60s dad would know better than I when that door was not but it was 2006 before I find myself at a real altar of prayer. It was in the 60s. 2006, when a man finally gave up running and trying to defy God and run from his calling that he found himself at an altar of prayer and so you have no idea what seed you plant today would find its way into the heart of a man or to a young person
You have no idea when you walk into that nursing home what staff member is going to hear that word. You have no idea what seed will be planted in the heart of a man that is incarcerated who might make a phone call and say, listen to what I heard today in church. There may be a man, there may be a woman, years from now, that you may never put your hand in their hand that may be standing behind a pulpit to say, this is the seed that was planted that day. So I'm here to tell you that it is a seed worth sowing. It is a gospel worth spreading. It is a message worth proclaiming. And so right now in this moment, I wonder if every hand would raise to heaven. Every heart would be open to the word of God right now. That every mind would be open and receive what thus saith the Spirit of God in this hour. I wonder if there would be some men, some women, some young people that would find their way to an altar of prayer and say, here I am, God. Send me, send me, send me. I want to sow a seed that is worth sowing into the lives of everyone around me because it's a seed that is worth sowing. Lift your hands. Lift your voices. Find a place to pray. Find an altar. Find a communion with God and let God call you to your destiny today. In the name of Jesus. 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 This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.